A corporation's values are its life's blood. Without effective communication, actively practiced, without the art of scrutiny, those values will disappear in a sea of trivial memos and impertinent reports. There may be no single thing more important in our efforts to achieve meaningful work and fulfilling relationships than to learn and to practice the art of communication. From Max Dupree, Leadership is an Art. This is Hans Stenzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking leadership to the next level. If you desire to learn to be a better leader, this podcast is for you. I promise to give you practical leadership tips you can use right away. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to this podcast. So glad to have you as a listener. I'm very excited about this 10-part series on 10 essential skills every new leader must master. And just to frame the reference of where we're at today, we're talking about the letter E. This podcast is brought to you by the letter E, and E stands for Effective Communication, L-E-A-D-E-R-S-H-I-P. We're going through the 10 essential skills that every new leader must master, and not just the new leader. This also applies to all of you listeners who are seasoned leaders and want to learn to do better. The L stands for listen and learn. The E is for emotional intelligence. The A is for accessibility. The D is for determination. That was last week's podcast. And today, effective communication. You realize there are two E's in leadership. It's such an important letter. The first E was for EQ. This E today is for effective communication. George Bernard Shaw said the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. I love that. What we're going to cover in the show today, I'm going to share with you why communication is so important for leaders, one of the biggest responsibilities as a leader. Uh, Number two, the ingredients of good communication. Number three, what to communicate as a leader, what I would call the building blocks of great communication. You know, there's so much communication going on. What do I need to be sure and communicate? And finally, I'm going to leave you with uh, five action steps that you can apply to be a good communicator in your context. Hey, thank you so much for the listener feedback I've got about this series from Tim. Here's what he wrote. Here's what you wrote, Tim. Thank you for writing. Communication, as I ask the question, what do you think are the 10 essential ingredients uh, that every new leader must master? Two of you mentioned communication. Tim said effective communication is essential in all relationships. Being able to set clear expectations, that's sending, and being a good listener, that's receiving. And then from Reverend Gibbs, who down in Tallahassee, Florida, he said, looking forward to your upcoming series. In my humble opinion, I believe the single most important skill is communication. Wow. So many others come to mind, but I think a leader's ability to communicate with clarity and consistency is vital. Thank you for your podcast. Hey, thank you, Reverend Gibbs, for that information, that great feedback, and that input. I agree with you. Communication is definitely one of the 10 essential skills every new leader must master. Let's let's unpack this. Number First of all, why is communication so important for leaders? 
Donna and I used to live in Vienna, Austria. What a great experience we had. We lived there for 10 years and uh, did some amazing work, uh, had a lot of uh, fulfilling work training leaders in the Eastern European uh, part of Europe back in the days of communism. Well, we were part of an exploding new project that was based in Vienna. And when Donna and I arrived, we were one of the first five families. But within a matter of a couple of years, we were up to like 50 families. It was so exciting to be a part of something so explosive. So about five years into our project, we were beginning to sense growing pains. We invited a management consultant to come in and spend a day with our top leadership. We sat in a circle around a large conference room table and began to talk about the fundamentals of the organization and where we were going. And this consultant did what a lot of good consultants do. The consultant asked us each to write down the core purpose of our organization on a three-by-five card. And then we went around the circle and we read what we had written. Not two of us said the same thing. And some of us were really, really far afield from the others. No wonder there was so much chaos among us. Like the strings of a guitar that lose their tuning, we had lost our harmony as a leadership group. You know you're in trouble when the top leadership team is confused about such fundamental issues as the core purpose of the group's existence and where are we going and why do we exist. The other big problem that we had in, in our particular organization is that we decided everything in the hallways. What was going wrong here? Well, we had growing pains. There was a lot of confusion about what we were going to do next. We had an oral culture, and we were guilty of what's called hallway decision-making. And that's when, you know, you're small and you, hey, I got this problem. Let's all gather in the hall and fix it. And then we all go back to our desk. It's not written down. There's no process. And a small team can get away with that. No problem. Hallway decision-making. But as you grow... You know, what happens is not everybody can fit in the hallway anymore. So you have to formalize communication systems. And frankly, you have to formalize decision making. You got to get out of the hallway. Again, Max Dupree, here's what he says in Leadership as an Art. A corporation's values are its life's blood. Without effective communication actively practiced, without the art of scrutiny, those values will disappear in a sea of trivial memos and impertinent reports. There may be no single thing more important in our efforts to achieve meaningful work and fulfilling relationships than to learn and practice the art of communication. I like that, the art of communication. Communication is an art. In fact, his book is called Leadership is an Art. It's an uh, art. It's a great, great classic. I want to talk to you about the submerged giant, things under the waterline. An old farmer once said, go slow. People are a lot like horses. They don't like to be startled or surprised. It causes deviant behavior. You can almost picture the weathered face of this man saying that, can't you? He's probably chuckling at the thought of that vicious kick he took from an old mare he once startled. As many old-timers are, he was right. Go slow, because people are a lot like horses. They don't like to be startled. And that, you know, obviously applies to the issue of change and bringing about change, which there's never a time when communication is more important than when you're in a process of change. 
When you talk to people about big issues that affect them, things that are going to change, for example, you have to look below the waterline. Both the conscious and the subconscious are simultaneously at work in people's mind, processing what's going on, and not only in their minds, in their hearts. And it's sometimes what you don't see and what you don't hear and what you don't pick up from them that'll kick you in the rear. I want to tell you the story about a senior level management member that I had that reported to me. He was a great faithful lifer, had been in the organization for decades. I spent considerable time with him to share with him some of the major changes going on in our organization and how they would affect him. I did this with each of my senior level leaders as I was going about an organizational reorg and changing my team. When I started as CEO, I had about mm, 14 people reporting to me. And as we were growing and getting bigger and expanding around the world, my board said to me, Hans, you got too many people reporting to me. You've got to cut it down. So I had to go through this painful process really of selecting who, who's going to stay and who's going to go, who's still going to be at the table and who's going to be invited to leave the table. And this was one of the guys that I had to break the news to him that he was no longer going to be at the kitchen table with the top leadership, but he was going to actually report to one of the people that was his equals before, like a colleague. Well, I spent considerable time with him, sharing with him some of the major changes going on in the organization, how they would affect him, why I was doing it. I knew it would be delicate because these changes involved uh, him moving into a, a totally different place in the organization. I knew that many circumstances surrounding the decision would be difficult for him. Uh, I knew that he would feel demoted. You know, I also knew it was best for him because I knew what he really liked to do, and I realized that whether he knew it or not, this would free him up to have more time to pursue his passion. But, you know, despite that, people love to be at the senior leadership table. And frankly, a lot of the stuff that goes on there, it can be boring, can be monotonous, it's budgets, it's problem solving, it's crisis management. But people that are there just love love to be there. And when you ask them to tell them they're no longer going to be there, it can be a tough conversation. So uh, during this meeting, I spent over an hour carefully explaining to this person uh, what the decisions were made and, and why I made them. Uh, I allowed plenty of time for feedback and for conversation. And, and when I had finished and the conversation was over, I was surprised at his reaction. He took it very well, very calmly, almost stoically. And I remember thinking to myself, this doesn't add up. Either this guy is a lot more mature than anybody I've ever met, or something else is going on. In fact, I was so bewildered that I told the person to go home and think about it and that I wanted to meet him again in a couple of days. I was convinced that a whole minefield of issues was under the waterline, issues that would soon erupt onto the surface, maybe even explode onto the surface. No, the person assured me, eh, it's fine. I got it. No problem. We don't need to meet again. <laughs> but I forced that second meeting a couple of days later. Sadly, I was right. 
not sadly. I mean, I was right. I knew it. The man went home that night, and he said he barely slept. Sure enough, issues exploded onto the surface within 24 hours uh, as he was mulling over really deep down below the waterline in his heart and his mind. The, the implications, the ramifications, what are people going to think? Uh, what am I going to do? I'm I'm no longer as important. Uh, he was just reeling. He said he told me that he he got up at 3 a.m. and wandered the streets of his neighborhood, so upset about what I had shared with him. <laughs> well, fortunately, I'd followed up with my gut and t- intuition. Always a good idea to follow your intuition. We scheduled the follow-up meeting and finally got to the real issues at hand. And I learned again the valuable lesson from Uh, That episode, don't assume people are going to take what you tell them at face value. He did feel devalued. He did feel, uh, yeah, that was the basic thing. He felt like, gosh, I'm just not as important as I used to be. This is the end of my career. I'm supposed to go forward, not backward. This person is not really a career-oriented person. He's just a wonderful servant. Uh, And yet he felt devalued. And, uh, man, I just had to pour on the value. Can I just say that happened a number of years ago, and it took him ah, probably a couple of years to get over it, but he did cycle back around to me uh, a couple of years later and said, you were absolutely right. I'm actually now, he was our um, in charge of a major area of the world, and this freed him up to spend more time in that part of the world, and he didn't have to uh, waste all this time at the home office and all these silly meetings that we have to do. And he came, cycled back around. He said, you know, that was a great decision. I, I It hurt me at the time, but you actually launched me toward my heart and passion when what I love doing most and what I'm best at. Thank you. Pretty cool, huh? People have a subconscious, which they usually don't even realize they're dealing with. And once they think things through, uh, the implications and ramifications begin to to dawn on them. If they're married, they're going to go home and process this with their spouse, which in this case he did. And then the spouse, have you ever noticed, they have a whole different spin on the event. (laughs) I remember another time where I... I had to, I didn't demote somebody, but I put somebody above this person that from the outside for a, a person that had been in the organization 25 years. And I brought in a new younger person to be this person's boss. And it was the wife that got so upset at me. And I remember her coming, she said, I want an appointment with you. She wanted to meet with me by herself. And Man, she read me the riot act for not respecting her husband. (laughs) Ah, the joys of leadership. (laughs) Well, during such times, a leader ignores below-the-waterline issues at his or her own peril. What would have happened if I'd never had that follow-up meeting? I would have wrongly concluded that everything was fine, check that off the list, move on to the next problem. And somewhere down the road, there would have been an explosion. Something would have happened. Uh, it could have been an explosion or it could have been serious passive-aggressive behavior, which, which people often do in a case like that when they don't agree with the decision, but there's no conversation and there's no healing. They move into that passive-aggressive blocking mode. In retrospect, it was important that I got back to the person and allowed him to go through the another layer of processing. And we actually had a number of ongoing conversations as he processed that. And so uh, that, that all turned out well, but it's a great lesson in communication. 
he came along well after a lot of communication took place. And sometimes it just takes not only that consistent communication, but it takes time, time. Well, let's talk about part two here, the ingredients of good communication. Some of the ingredients of good communication. I love Patrick Lencioni. He's one of my favorite writers. And uh, the book, The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive, you know, one of the problems in, in leadership is we have so much to do, it's hard to focus. And one thing I like about his work and his writing is he focuses. And in this book, the four obsessions, well, one of those four is organizational clarity and communicating that clarity. Here's what he says. Within companies that effectively over-communicate, employees at all levels and in all departments understand what the organization is about and how they contribute to its success. They don't spend time speculating on what the executives are really thinking about, and they don't look for hidden messages among the information they receive. As a result, there's a strong sense of common purpose and direction, which supersedes any departmental or ideological allegiances they may have. You know, this goes back to the previous uh, podcast on accessibility, uh, the third podcast in this series. And if, you, if you're not always in your corner office or in your ivory tower or on your executive floor hiding out, but if you're really with the people, they're going to they're gonna pick up these deep values and the sense of direction. An isolated leader absolutely just is fueling the flames of dissonance and discord and people reading into things that are not even there. The most carefully crafted messages rarely sink deeply into our recipient's consciousness after only one pronouncement. Our minds are too cluttered, and any communication has to fight hundreds of other ideas for attention. In addition, a single airing won't address all the questions we have. And as a result, effective information transfer must happen over and over again. You know, I heard the story of this. Uh, I have a friend who's a consultant, and he was working with a pastor in a church trying to help this pastor communicate better because the congregation just wasn't listening, and he... He thought he was communicating because you know what he did? He did a weekly email through MailChimp to the entire congregation. Everybody in the congregation gave him his emails. And he said, I'm going to write you once a week, and I'm going to tell you all about what's going on. <laughs> you probably know what's coming if you know anything about email blasts. He was stunned, absolutely stunned. When the consultant went into the MailChimp dashboard and showed him that on average only 23% of the church members opened the email and read it. Oh my gosh, he was devastated. 23%? I can't get no respect. He was stunned. But hey, all of us who uh, send out emails, we know that 23%, you know, that's actually above the average, you know, for a lot of people that send out emails, it's down to 15% is like the national average of opens. You know, the, the the software knows if a person actually clicked on the email and opened it. Doesn't mean they read it, but at least they opened it. So he was at 23% and he was devastated. What was the moral of that story? You can't just communicate in one manner to your people. You have to communicate through various channels. I'll get to that in just a moment over and over again. It's so easy in leadership to lack focus. The good is often the enemy of the best. There's so much to do. We get lost in the tyranny of the urgent. 
A couple of experts that I just love related to this. One, of course, is John Cotter, and they both, John Cotter and Patrick Lencioni, both talk about this issue of focus. And I've become a huge fan of them. And when I teach on leadership, I always use their books because, again, focus is one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? You know, the the tyranny, the urgent, the fires that are raging, the conflicts that are ensuing, the, the emails that are slamming me, the text messages, the websites, the stuff I need to read, my staff, my team, my family, my children, it's all slamming us. And we have a challenge to focus. John Cotter, in the book, What Leaders Really Do, said there are four things. A leader is the keeper of the vision, the tender of the culture, the builder of trust, and the cultivator of a learning atmosphere. And that first point, keeper of the vision, and he he unpacks in that whole piece the communicator of that vision. It's the leader's job more than anybody to communicate that vision. Patrick Lencioni, I already mentioned his book, uh, The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive. And here's what he says, the four things he thinks an executive uh, must focus on, the leader whether it's the business leader, the ministry leader, the pastor, the sales leader, uh, you name it. Four things. Build and maintain a cohesive leadership team. Create organizational clarity. Over-communicate that vision. And reinforce clarity through human systems. In case you're new to the show... I thought I'd give you just a little bit about who I am and what I'm trying to achieve in this podcast. I'm called the Leadership Answer Man, not because I have all the answers, but because I've made more mistakes than anybody else, and I have a lot of wisdom to share because I've been at leadership for over 30 years in the trenches. A lot of times people write books or speak or teach on leadership from the classroom perspective. They haven't actually done it. And the thing I've done is I've done it, and I've made so many mistakes, and I've learned so much. So I love to share my wisdom, practical help, so you can take your leadership to the next level. Why? Why do I care so much about leadership? Well, in my career, I've seen that leaders make things happen. And there are so many toxic organizations that are not working or dysfunctional organizations or businesses or churches that are not working because the leadership isn't working right. So that's my passion. It seems like there are more bad leaders than good leaders and more bad bosses than good bosses. So my passion is to help fix that problem. So if you uh, would like to subscribe to my email, go to hansfenzel.com. I'd love to have you uh, on my email list. I don't send a lot of stuff out. I basically just send out an email summarizing the next podcast. And every once in a while, I'll tell you some other stuff that I'm up to. Okay, and also, if you like the show and you're a faithful listener, did you know the best way to spread the word? See, I put in all this work for free. You know, podcasts are free. I do it for you, and I'd love to have more people listen because the work is the same no matter how many people listen. So would you tell your friends, tweet about it, Facebook about it. If you go to my website, of course, you can always just pass along the stuff that's there. Also, I have a little page on my website, hansfinzel.com slash love it with a pre-packaged tweet that you can just uh, copy and tweet out there to your Twitter followers. Thanks so much for being a listener.
Okay, the third part of this podcast, I want to talk about what to communicate because there's so much coming at us, so much coming in. What do we communicate? First of all, I love the principle that I have always believed in, never assume that anyone knows anything. (laughs) Never assume that anyone knows anything. We cannot over-communicate. So what exactly should we be talking about during times of uh, uh, when we communicate to our team? What kind of communication should we foster between different teammates and and in the organization? Uh, I had the challenge that we were scattered in 65 countries of the world, and some of my team was 5,000 miles away. And boy, I tell you, that puts a bigger responsibility on you than ever. Well, I have six basic, what I would call, ingredients of good communication from the leaders to the followers, from the leaders to the team. Number one, the big vision, of course. Be able to articulate the grand vision in a minute, in an elevator speech. And everybody on the leadership team should be writing the same thing on that 3 by 5 card. And if they're not, you got to work on that. People have to be constantly reminded about the dream. Tell us again, where are we going? You know, it's so important that we have that elevator speech and that it's not just the job of the top leader, it's the job of the whole leadership team to be on the same page, to all be singing out of the same page of the hymn book, to get that elevator speech down or the bullets or whatever you're going to say to communicate the grand vision, to answer the question, where are we going and what do we stand for? So the big vision. Number two, concrete plans. People hate surprises. Uh, The more they know about the plans that are affecting them, the better. And what I practiced in my leadership is to always give constant updates on progress. I found that, um, well, in in our uh, organization, we had a chapel once a week. And uh, so once a month, I would have a president's chapel, and I would just really work hard at communicating. That's not the only way. I mean, there's so many ways to communicate, but... Concrete plans. Here's what's going on. Here's what's going to happen next. Because people want to know. You know, a change imposed is a change opposed. People hate being in the dark. (laughs) I had another friend who said, if I'm not up on it, I'm down on it. So concrete plans. Number three, tiny details. Sometimes the smallest change can set people off, like a married couple who, who an argument ignites over Something like uh, the man is dropping his socks on the floor in the bathroom or, you know, crazy, tremendous trifles, the tiniest details. I recall we were repainting some of the walls in our building and uh, me and my building manager decided to do some accent colors because all the walls were white when we built our new building here in Colorado. And after a few years, I said, man, this is kind of boring. Let's Let's add some warmth and some color. So he and I just chose colors and started painting. And you thought World War III was going to interrupt because all of a sudden, out of the blue, these walls start getting out of the blue. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Uh, all of a sudden, these walls start getting these colors that people didn't like. And they're not the right colors. Isn't it crazy? The tiniest details. So, you know, communication, so important. You know what we finally did in that case? We kind of stopped the project, and uh, we did 
you know, this took more work. It's so much easier just to make decisions and, and implement, but good leadership often moves slow because you involve people. So what I did is I took a step back and I asked all the departments in the various parts of the building we did, my building manager, and said, all right, there's the wall that needs to be painted. You guys get together. You fight it out. You choose the color. We don't care. And uh, so they got to paint the walls the colors that they liked, and whoopee, they were happy. <laughs> okay, what do you communicate? Concrete plans, tiny details. The next thing, legitimize doubt. It's okay for people to doubt. Go toward the natural doubt that will linger in your people's minds. Don't run away from it. Don't deny it. Don't shut it down. Don't ridicule doubt. I'm going to talk just a moment a little more about doubt, uh, the four uh, phases of doubt. But I just want to mention to you that doubt is legitimate. So don't become defensive and shut it down. Number four, legitimize grief. This is something that my friend, uh, the the gentleman I told you the story, he was no longer going to be on the CEO's roundtable. He was no longer going to be in the president's circle. And he was going through grief. It's okay to grieve the loss. It's human nature for people to react to change like this, like a personal sense of loss. And they have to process that grief. And I would have been ridiculous to to belittle his grief. People need a chance to mourn losses when, you know, sometimes it's a a church building where I've seen churches relocate to a new site, and it's amazing how people get attached to a building, and they will grieve the loss of that old building uh, because they, they knew they had to relocate because they're growing, they needed a bigger place or uh, you know, whatever uh, the thing is, change often means loss and legitimize that grief. Legitimize questions. It's okay to question. It's natural for people to examine your motives and your methods. And when I had those president's chapels, what I always did is, do you have any questions about stuff that's going on? Look for it. Allow it. Welcome it. Be vulnerable and transparent and, and allow the questions to flow. Uh, let people email you. <laughs> you know, recently Amazon had this huge firestorm about all these employees complaining about terrible workplace conditions. And, you know, the president, the the owner, Jeff uh, of Amazon, I don't know what the truth is, whether these are just a few disgruntled employees or if this is a huge problem in the, the biggest retail company on planet Earth. I would think the biggest retail company on planet Earth would would have some employee problems um, as many people as work for them. But he came on TV the other day and he was, he told his people, you have a problem like this. This is not the company that I'm leading. This does not sound like my company. These people who are whining and complaining, here's my email address. Please write me. If you see this kind of poor behavior going on, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know what's really going on there, but it's a healthy sign when the top leader says, I want to hear from you if there's a problem. Legitimize questions. Okay, I'd like to just drill down. We're almost done with this podcast. I want to drill down to this, what I call the four factors of doubt. People will doubt. And uh, here's here are the four factors of doubt. Number one, we did not know there was a problem. That's when changes are announced. 
it has been decided that, you know, fill in the blank. And here's what people, they start doubting. Number one, we didn't know there was a problem. That's the it ain't broke syndrome. Number two, we're in shock about your solution to a non-problem. That's the don't fix it issue. You know, don't fix what's not broken. Number three, we had no idea change was coming. We felt ambushed. And number four, we offered no input for the solutions imposed on us. We might have had actually a better solution. Those are the four factors of doubt. Let me say again, never assume that anyone knows anything. Embrace doubt, allow for questions, and you'll be a better communicator. Peter Drucker said the most important thing in communication is hearing what isn't said. Well, let me finish up. I have a couple more quotes. Winston Churchill, if you have an important point to make, don't try to be subtle or clever. Use a pile driver. You know, I, that's British. I'm not sure what a pile driver is. I'm thinking it's probably a sledgehammer. Okay, he says, use a pile driver. Use a sledgehammer. Hit the point once, then come back and hit it again. Then hit it a third time with a tremendous whack. <laughs> Love that. Be clear. Clarity is one of the biggest responsibilities of leadership. So in conclusion, we have too many meetings, but too little communication. Never assume that anybody knows anything. Communication has to take place over and over and over again with all different kinds of avenues and venues. Communication has to be given out in many different channels. Don't rely on just one. Communication takes place when the person has finally understood what you have tried to get across, and she or he now repeats what you said back to you. Okay, I promised you five action steps. Here we go. Learn to sharpen your communication strategies. Number one, assume that people don't really understand what, where you're heading. Assume they have not gotten it. Repeat it in different settings and from different angles, okay? Don't assume people know where you're going. Number two, make sure you meet face-to-face -face with key decision makers and give them time to talk. And try to ping your key decision makers and leaders to find out if they really do know where you're going. Don't program every minute. Uh, troll for issues under the waterline. That's part of the responsibility of a leader. Number three, communicate in writing, not just orally, with emails, your blog, Twitter, uh, your website, meetings like the President's Chapel that I did. But communicate, communicate, communicate on a regular basis, not once or twice a year. Number four, list how many different ways you can communicate to your organization. That's a great exercise. You know, email, Twitter, blog, Video of now you can do little videos that you can send out to everybody uh, via email. That's a great way for leadership to communicate vision, values, and direction. And then number five, determine and enlist anyone you can that can help you communicate. I want to leave you with something I learned in grad school a long time ago back in Dallas, Texas, in a galaxy far, far away from one of my professors, Professor Paul Meyer, who said, communication... The human connection is the key to personal and career success.
This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership.